Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team. You guys can take a seat. Before I get into the message, we have an amazing celebration that we need to shout for. Our very own Stephen Houlet, today, 15 years sober, we're celebrating. Come on. That's what it's all about. Come on. We love you, Stephen. That's the real-life example of how the blood of Christ speaks a better word and changes someone's entire life and the trajectory of their life. I'm going to start today with a very important question. Kids, look at me. I need your participation. Adults, look at me. Every eye in the house. This is awesome. You're going to laugh when, when, I, when you realize why I'm doing this. We need to decide right now which of these four superpowers is the one we all want the most. We're going to vote by applause. It's going to, between, it's going to be between these four. Super speed, super strength, super intelligence, or the ability to fly. I know there's more, but we're doing these four for today. So think about it for a second. By applause, who wants to have super speed like the flash? <laughs> Michael Cantrell, the lone, very fast man. Who wants to have super strength like the Hulk? A little bit of love, a little bit of love. Who wants to have super intelligence like Iron Man or Tony Stark? I can see wisdom in that because if you have super intelligence, you can invent anything you want and have all those superpowers. Who wants the ability to fly like Superman? Michael, I'm going to fly right over you. You might be running down nice and fast. I'm just going to fly over you like three times faster. I'm on the fly side of things. I've always loved the idea of flying. It's part of the reason I love the movie uh, Top Gun, which I'm not necessarily promoting right now per se, um, but I did go see it, and I have my Top Gun socks on right there, and my dad was a Navy chaplain, and we grew up on the Naval Air Station in uh, California and in Virginia Beach, uh, the shipyard there in Norfolk, so we were always on ships. We were always around jets. It was part of our childhood. We've always bonded over that, and we also love going to see movies, me and my dad, my brother, and my brother-in-law, and so I knew my dad was sad that I wasn't going to be there. They all lived there except for me to see this new Top Gun. And so my brother and I were talking, you know, a, a month or two back and, and just had this thought, man, imagine if you could surprise dad and just come see it. They're up in northern, northeastern Pennsylvania. So you uh, catch a flight and come surprise them. And then I was like, well, my, Jess and I just had our 15-year anniversary on Thursday, which is technically opening night. You can applause. Thank you. It is a big deal. That's a much bigger deal than Top Gun, but notice I'm talking about Top Gun. <laughs> we'll see if we make it again. I told my brother, there's no way I can go see it on like the true opening night, I guess Thursday, because it's my 15-year anniversary. There's no way. But then he was like, well, maybe we can do it Friday, and let's just check out the flights. So I was like, all right, well, let, let's try it. And he was going to split the price with me, me and my brother. And we found a flight to Pennsylvania for $100 through Allegiant Airlines. I think there were two seats left on the plane. Just looked it up for us. And then I had enough points to fly back for free. So on Friday morning, I flew to Pennsylvania, and the surprise was successful. We surprised my dad. He could not believe it. He was like, what? He, I mean, I, I was a little nervous he was going to, like, have a physical problem. Um, he's pushing 70. And, uh, and we went to see it. It was amazing, by the way. I'll be seeing it again for sure and maybe a third time in the theaters. 
I'm saving my money. And, 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 and then I flew back yesterday. And I, it's part of the reason I love those movies is because I love the idea of flying, even flying commercial yesterday. Who's like me and loves just the takeoff moment, how that feels? There's something so fun about it. You, you're moving at super speeds through the clouds. That's insane. You're soaring high above every mountain and every tree. That's insane. You have this whole new perspective. And one of the things I've always done as a dad, when my kids were small enough, and all you dads and moms probably have done this, you take a kid and you put him in your arm, facing outward, and you do the, the Superman or the airplane run. You just run as fast as you can with them in your arms. I used to do it with Novi and Kenzie all the time. Here they are. That's Novi, who's now getting ready to turn 13. She, I don't know how old she was there. What would you guess, Jess? Five, six? And then there's little Kenzie, who's about to turn 10, who didn't have much hair yet, and uh, she was maybe one or two there. And I'll just run as fast as I could. You see the joy on their faces? I, I can't do it with them anymore because they're like, you know, grown young women. I can still do it with Nessa. And I'm going to do something that's very unusual in churches. Bear with me. There's a reason for this. I'm going to tie it all together at the end of my sermon. But I think the airplane run or the airplane game is a beautiful picture of our obedience to God and the freedom that he wants us to experience. And I'm going to use it as an arc for this message. So I'm not gonna fully explain it yet, but what we're gonna do is in a moment, Nessa's gonna come up here. I'm gonna get her in the airplane hold and I'm gonna run down the center of the aisle and I'm not promoting running in the church. I'm the only one allowed to do it, kids. I'm gonna run down the center of the aisle and run back with her. And you guys are gonna be the cloud of witnesses. The Bible says that when we live, when we run the race we're called to, we have a cloud of witnesses around us that cheer us on all the saints of old, the heavenly hosts. You guys are going to cheer for Nessa so loud, even though I'm the one running her, and this is all gonna come together at the end of the sermon, that you're gonna be the cloud of witnesses that's gonna change her life forever. So, so here we go. Let's welcome Nessa as she comes. opposite of freedom like that is captivity. Bear with me for a minute. It's like being in prison. I'm out of breath. <laughs> prison is a terrible place to be. I looked up some accounts from prisoners about what it feels like, and here's what they said. There is no sleeping all day and doing whatever you want like many people think. Everything you do is monitored and controlled, and it's on the prison schedule. You have no say in anything, no choices at all. It's horrible, terrifying, lonely, confusing. You'll go through shock and denial, intense fear, wishful thinking, fantasies, total loss of control, confusion, and feeling lost. And here's the reality. Many Christians acknowledge and believe that Jesus has set them free. And again, the picture I just gave you there is going to be our picture for the day of the kind of freedom that God calls us to. Yet they find it difficult to experience that freedom in their daily lives. And sometimes they so aren't experiencing that freedom that they actually feel the opposite and they feel in captivity and they feel like a prisoner. And today's text has the foundational declaration and promise from Jesus about freedom. It's absolutely incredible. The title today is How to Be Free. And I wanna start by defining freedom. And this is a bit of a clarification and it's number one in your notes. The freedom Jesus offers doesn't mean doing whatever we want. 
It means, it means being freed from that which would hold us in captivity. So, you know, your average child, like a lot of the precious kids in here, think freedom is just you can eat whatever you want or you can, you can watch whatever you want or you can go do whatever you want whenever you want. That's a different kind of freedom. We're talking about the kind of freedom that Jesus invites us to, which is having a heart that goes free, a mind that is free, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from addiction, actual freedom that God has invited us into. And by way of a little further clarification before we get to the text, Andy Stanley has a quote that I like a lot that that helps us put in perspective what we're really talking about here. He says, and it's number two, every addiction begins as an expression of personal freedom. So think about that for a minute. Anyone you see in addiction, you can trace it all the way back. And any kind of addiction, don't just think drugs or alcohol. Think uh, addicted to, um, I'm not even going to list things because of time, but you know what I mean. Every one of those can be traced all the way back to someone at some point, possibly even a Christian, thinking, I can do this and express my personal freedom. I can indulge in this. And I just wanted to clarify, that's not the kind of freedom we're talking about. We're talking about inner freedom, like a life a heart and a mind that is actually free. And Jesus, in this text, John 8, 21 to 32, has some really strong words uh, for the spiritual leaders of the day, the Jewish leaders. Um, but he always leaves a door open. There's always an invitation kind of in there too. So let's read it, and we're gonna just lift high the word of God and sit with this text. And then I'm gonna focus in on just the last two verses for a short message today. Starting in verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made them ask, this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is the often quoted foundational declaration and promise from Jesus about the fact that we are called to freedom. And those first number of verses are really just the continued debate about who Jesus is. This whole chapter, they're debating, who is Jesus? Some are fighting him, some are welcoming him. And I love how in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this battle over truth, much like our current cultural moment, there's a battle over truth. It feels like chaos out there at times. Look what it says in verse 30. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. And I love this. I love that it happened then. I also love it as something I believe is happening right now because you know what? God is still speaking. God speaks to us through his word and he speaks by his Holy Spirit to us. And in the middle of this current reality that is challenging, even when it feels like chaos, even when it feels like doomsday, guess what? He is still speaking. And as he speaks, there are still many who will believe in him. 
So you as Christians, you as the church, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in dread. You don't have to be concerned, oh no, the, 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 the Bible's gonna be erased or the, the church is gonna be no more. The church has come through every season in history. The incredible highs, the incredible lows. And counterintuitive, the church actually flourishes the most when the culture seems to be most against it. That's what we see in scripture. That's what we see throughout history. So I just wanna say it as like a, a prophetic truth from scripture that let's together hold to the promise that right now, even though things are, the stakes are higher and truth feels under assault, which it is, let's say, wait a second, that doesn't matter. Even as all that is happening, even as the enemy rages and wants to destroy people and wants to destroy God, the word of God goes forth and many will believe. Who's with me? That's the promise. Then he says what we're really gonna look at today. To the Jews who had believed him. So he's now speaking to the ones who are believing, people like us. Most of us here are probably not Jews, but the Gentiles have been grafted into the kingdom. So to those who had believed, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is similar to what we looked at last week. There is a condition to this promise of freedom. Last week, we talked about how we often confuse the unconditional love of God with the conditional promises of God. And you have to be careful with how you think and approach that. Uh, the love of God can never change for you. I say this all the time, but you have a circle of agape drawn around you. Even though Michael Cantrell is slower than me because he's flash and he has to stay on the ground, even though I can soar high above him as Superman, he still has a circle of agape love drawn around him that he could never get out of. He can't ruin it. He couldn't get out of the circle of God's love if he tried, and that's true of you. But... God offers us promises that he will not force us to walk in. And it's much like parenting. We have circle of agape love drawn around our kids, but we cannot force them to actually say yes to the gifts we're giving them. Tracking with me? So that's all I mean by the promises of God are conditional. It's not that they go away. They're available to us through Christ, period. But God cannot and will not force you to walk in the promise. Therefore, there is a condition. You must say yes. It's similar to how there's a condition to salvation. Salvation is the ultimate gift, the ultimate promise, and it is not and will not be forced on anyone because then it would no longer be a real relationship. It would be a, a race of robots. So there is a condition to this promise, and look at it again. It says, if you hold to my teaching, that's his beginning, you are really my disciples. So we see, number three in your notes, to be a disciple of Jesus is to hold to the teaching of Jesus. And that's what we're all about at Graceland Church. We talk about this, following Jesus and loving our neighbor for the good of the city. To follow Jesus is to hold to his teaching, to be a, a disciple. And I wanna ask you the simple question, you don't have to answer, but are you a disciple of Jesus? I think it's a helpful distinction. I'm not asking, have you prayed the prayer of salvation? I hope you have. I'm not asking, do you attend church or serve in church? I'm not asking, do you give? I'm asking, Internally, at a heart level, are you giving yourself to holding to the teachings of Jesus? Are you giving yourself to learning his ways and following them? Are you a disciple? Because we get it twisted sometimes, especially in uh, a culture of Christianity, like what we can have here in Bible Belt areas. But really, it's true in our entire nation. You can have a, a sub-Christian culture, 
And we have entire industries in our sub-Christian culture. And th- those aren't bad industries. Lots of people here work in those industries, especially like the music industry. We have a lot of publishing houses here. I mean, there's industries built around that. But if you're not careful, those things can subtly communicate that just because you're a part of that culture, you're a disciple of Jesus. You can be in that culture, fully functioning in that culture, and no longer be a disciple of Jesus. There's no way around it. To be a disciple of Jesus is to hold to the teaching of Jesus. And look what it says in verse 32 after that. Then, that's showing us that there is a condition. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So holding to the teachings of Jesus is, we can simply call obedience to God. It's obedience to God. And he says, if you are obeying God, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So number four is this, and I'm going to clarify some of this as we go. If you want to be free, the best thing you can do in any situation is obey the teaching of Jesus. How many here would like to be free? We'd love it. I want my heart to be free. I want my mind to be free. I want my life to be free. I want to be soaring. I want to be like Nessa, getting flown through the great cloud of witnesses with a big smile on my face, going faster than I could ever go. That's what I want. And if that's what I want, there's one thing I can do to move towards that. Hold to the teachings of Jesus. There is no other way. And you can say yes to Jesus and put your faith in him and then just forget about holding to the teachings, right? That's not what this is. The good news is when you say yes to Jesus and you really meet him, when you encounter him, when you fall in love with the risen Christ, the living God, when you start to learn his voice, you want nothing more than to hold to his teaching. It's not something that you resist. It's not something that you fight against. It's what you long You even eventually start longing for the discipline of God in your life because the discipline of God is what leads us to freedom. Anyone who gardens knows this. The only way you can create, you can cause a piece of vegetation to become fruitful is to prune it. And you have to do it every single year. So the more you learn this and trust this God, the more you say, I want your pruning, God. I want you to prune me. That's part of holding to the teachings of Jesus. And I have this simple frame that are number five, six, and seven in your notes before we close today. I think here's a simple way to think about, am I holding to the teachings of Jesus? Number five, believe what Jesus says about himself. A big part of his teachings are who he is. And so part of holding to his teachings are believing what he says about himself. He is the savior of the world. And he is your savior. He is our Lord. He is our king. He is your friend. He is a guide. He is true to all his promises. So, so much of the the problems that we have, sometimes when we're not walking in freedom, if we could just bring our minds into obedience to God, hold to the teachings. Wait a second. You are God and I am not. And that one piece right there is a giant part of walking in freedom. Part of holding to his teachings is just paying attention to what you're thinking. And that starts with what you're thinking about who God is. Pay attention to that. If you you think of God as a cosmic cop trying to get you all the time, you're not holding the teachings of Jesus. If you think of God as someone holding your past against you constantly and angry at you because you can never get things right, you're not holding the teachings of Jesus. On the flip side, if you think of God as like just your homeboy and you're high-fiving and he doesn't give a rip about anything you do, you're not holding the teachings of Jesus. You get what I'm saying? It starts here. Are you believing and holding to what Jesus says about himself. So you start there. Number six, believe what Jesus says about you. What does he say about you? 
What does the whole account of scripture say about you? It says that you're a beloved son and daughter. In our first service for the brown bag, I had all the kids up here, and it was a different sermon, of course, because I had three different items, but one of the points was just believing what God says about you. And when you, when you look at kids and think about that, it's so powerful, but it's just as true for us as adults. We don't show it very often, but many of us adults are just spinning around, lost in some existence, trying to figure out who we are. And that's not bad. It's a human condition. But we're, we're running to, to thing after thing because we don't know who we are. We give in to this. We, we cling to that. We spend on this. We're angry about this. We're insecure here because we don't know who we are. So, so much of holding to the teaching of Jesus is just saying, wow, I believe I, I'm a beloved son of God. I'm a beloved daughter of God. I can be and will be everything he has said I can be and will be. I have everything I need to do everything he has called me to do. There's no question about it. I am literally made in the image of I watched that movie, The Shack, recently. Has anybody seen that or read the book? Brilliant movie and book. Um, some people get upset about some of the little buttons it pushes, but the heart of it, it, I believe it gets so right. And one of the things I love about the Papa character is she's a, she's a woman in this one part of it, and if that, <laughs> you can talk to me about that later. She says, she says I'm, I'm especially fond of you. And I love that coming from the heart of our God. What's amazing is he does say that about every single one of us. Same way I do with my kids. And it doesn't minimize it for any of us. So part of holding to his teaching is just rewiring how you're thinking. It's called the renewing of your mind. And then it leads to this, number seven. When you know who he is and you know who you are, you practice obedience to Jesus beyond all reservations. So whatever Jesus says, whatever the word of God instructs us to do, obey it do that. By way of illustration, I was driving around with my family earlier this week, and I had one of those mornings where things were stacked up. Um, there was some building pressure that I was kind of applying to myself. There were real circumstances, but I, I had about a two-hour window to get some stuff done before we had to go somewhere, and I knew exactly how I was going to get everything in. And then in that two-hour window, like three or four things didn't work like technology didn't work or this didn't happen and therefore I was powerless, therefore my goal was blocked, therefore I was very frustrated. Anybody? My dad always taught me growing up, there's only two reasons to ever be angry. Your goal is blocked or your ego is threatened and I found that to be so, so true and on this particular morning, my goal was blocked and my ego was threatened a little bit because of the circumstances that were around it and I was with Jess and I was just, uh, I was just angry and then the question becomes, what do you do with that? So it's not necessarily terrible to just have that response. You know, the scripture says, you know, in your anger, do not sin. It's kind of acknowledging anger is going to happen. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get angry. But in it, do not sin, right? And so <laughs> I don't do it perfectly. And the, the ways that we sin sometimes is we lash out at other people or we, we curse the air. Or if it's a really serious thing, we curse God. And we're like, I'm out, you know. But in this particular instance, uh, by God's grace, eventually I just paused. And this is what I'm trying to encourage all of you guys to build the habit of. I paused and I had a, a spirit and word reflection. I said, spirit of God, help me. And I was just doing this internally while we were driving. <clears throat> so it's not like pausing and getting on my knees somewhere. I'm just driving on 65 North, still feeling it. But internally, I'm pausing and saying, 
what am I missing here? And I thought of my own sermon that I was about to preach in God's word, and I said, what teaching of Jesus am I not holding to right now? What am I missing right here? I'm so angry. This is, I'm not called to live like a captive. You're a captive to anger when you're like that. You're not free. And immediately, in one moment, God softened my heart with conviction and reminded me of what Jesus said, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my burden is easy, I'm sorry, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And immediately, and this is how God does conviction. In one moment, I was convicted for my sin, which was I stacked up pressure on myself. How many of you guys can admit with me that much of the pressure that we feel in our lives is not from God? It is our own burden that we were putting on ourselves. It is our own ideas. It's our own way of doing things. And it's the old way. And there's this new way of the kingdom that doesn't accept that. And our culture will stack it on us too. And I was, in that moment, I was convicted. I was like, God, forgive me for not following the way of Jesus. I was not holding to the teaching of Jesus. But in the same exact moment as I was convicted, my heart was also set free. <laughs> That's what's amazing about this. If anybody know what I'm talking about? He calls us to walk in freedom. So, so here's how this all connects with the airplane game. As the worship team comes up, you have a few things to do in response. We're going to pray with you. But I'm going to read to you something uh, that I wrote like seven years ago about Novi and Kenzie when I was doing the airplane game with them. It's not really about you, but it's about when I was doing the airplane game with them. And I want to, I want to wrap up this idea and this image of Nessa going down the aisle with the cloud of witnesses. If you'll close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me, and then we're going to respond together. I love to play the airplane game. It's one of the classic games parents play with their kids. I pick her up, Novi or Kenzie at that time. I hold her facing forward under my left arm or my right arm. She locks into place with one arm straight out to the left and the other straight out to the right. She shoots both legs out behind her and picks up her head in order to look straight ahead. And I then run as fast as I can while we both make airplane noises and laugh like crazy until I just have to stop because I'm exhausted. For me, it makes me tired. For her, it is simply going along for the ride. For both of us, it is the greatest fun in the world. She gets to move at speeds she could never reach on her own. She gets to imagine soaring through the clearest skies without a care in the world as she places all her trust in me, her father. And at the exact same time, I get to delight in the joy of my precious daughter. I get to, provi to provide her with fun as I anticipate the beautiful life and eternity she has ahead of her. There is nothing like it. This image is much like our obedience to God. We are like the child, desiring to move at speeds and accomplish things far beyond our capacity, to rest in the reliable arms of our heavenly father and to experience the wonder of soaring through life and eternity. God has placed eternity in our hearts. There's something about capturing the faith and imagination of a child that is integral to the kingdom of God. Our heavenly father is like me as a father, desiring his children to just be with him, to hold them tightly in his arms, to delight in their joy and to take them places far beyond what they could ask or imagine. And let me ask you this morning, what is the one thing needed to make this airplane game with our heavenly father possible? We need to release control and allow God to lift us up in his arms and run with us. 
This is called obedience. It is so simple and it leads to great joy. We too often think of obedience only as adherence to rigid rules or submission to a cold, impersonal and harsh taskmaster. Master. But with God, this is not the case. I want you to keep the image of the airplane game in your mind as an important aspect of your obedience. Release control, leave fear behind and play the airplane game with your heavenly father and hear the great cloud of witnesses around you cheering you on. As the prayer team comes up, there'll be some in the front, some on the sides. We're just gonna respond to God as we sing. And I'm just asking you to talk to him. Say, Lord, how are you calling me to obey? How, what teachings are you calling me to cling to? Where are you calling me to repent? There's others uh, suffering physically from things. Uh, I also wanna pray for anyone who would just like prayer for anything at all. Um, and then we're gonna do some baptisms and we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna rejoice. It's gonna be an amazing. And we'll, we'll wrap up here in just a couple minutes. Uh, so people that are getting baptized, go ahead and get ready now. Um, and if, if you didn't come ready to get baptized, but would like to get baptized, if you're just like, I wanna say yes to Jesus, I've not been baptized, you can come see Oscar. Where's Oscar's right here. You can come see Oscar. We have some clothes you could change into in the back. And as, once you guys are ready for baptism, come meet us right up here in the corner. And in the meantime, I'm gonna ask with our eyes closed again, if you're just saying, God, I wanna be, I wanna be more free. I wanna be living that, that airplane game life that you've called me to. And it doesn't mean everything's perfect, but it means we're soaring on, on, on wings like eagles, scripture talks about. We're with our Father. We're high up above seeing a different perspective. If you're like me and that's you, let's just raise our hands up. And God, I pray for each person here today, wherever they are, whatever is going on in their life, God, I pray that you would stir their heart to greater levels of freedom. God, I pray you'll stir in their minds and they'll step into greater renewal of mind than they've ever experienced by the power of your spirit, by the power of your word in Jesus' name. I pray that they would go free. I pray that they would commit to obedience to you beyond all reservations. So whatever it is they're wrestling with, I pray that they'll just say yes to your will, your way, your timing. It might just be their response. It might just be their attitude. It might just be a, some unforgiveness they need to let go of. Whatever it may be, God, I pray you'll work miracles in hearts and minds right now. And we pray for Dale Collins, who may be, may be watching online. We, I'm not sure exactly how he's doing today. We pray for healing in his body in Jesus' name. We pray the same for lots in our church family that are hurting and suffering physically, and I can't name them all, but we pray for your healing touch by the blood of Jesus in people's lives. We believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. We believe in healing and wholeness, and we pray for that. And we pray for peace for these families, peace surrounding them, God, filling these hospital rooms, filling these homes, filling these vehicles, filling their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. We're celebrating with you guys. That was beautiful. I want you to keep the picture of the airplane game in your mind when you think of your obedience to God and your life before God. And I want you to remember there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering for you. And I want you to remember that the, you are also a part of the great cloud of witnesses. So don't forget you're cheering people on as they are saying yes to the Father. I'm gonna pray this benediction over you guys and we'll, we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name, amen. Love you guys. Amen.